You know, our topic for today is why you need to be testing content commerce this holiday season. So why don't we just start off with just help us understand how you all at My Subscription Addiction think about what your sort of primary thesis is on commerce. Um, you know, the marketplace has changed so much in the last few years, especially with the digital age. Everybody's doing everything online, shopping online. The market has become increasingly fragmented as well. There are is an overload of choice. You know, you have four different D2C razor subscriptions, three different custom shampoos, for example, four different like cookwares that all are non-stick. How do you, you know, you don't know which one should you choose? What's Flashar? I mean, my, at MSA, you guys have done a great job at gaining consumer trust. What is, what is it about the way that you create content that allows for somebody to trust you as that third party source? So MSA has been around for over 10 years. In the last year, we really have doubled down on, on this piece, which I'm about to explain, which I think is what makes us the most trusted in the market. It's that authenticity. We have a network of over 200 creators. And so we would never have a creator write about a brand if they weren't genuinely an advocate of it. On top of that, we do also have a team of editors um, that reviews all of the content to make sure that it just like reads well um, and that like it's grammatically correct and all of that. So it's in that it's engaging. And so, you know, it's the authentic opinion of every creator and it's real, it's written by real people. People who yeah. are, is both wide enough such that there is, you know, products that they love that can speak to that audience mm -hmm. and also uh, sort of interested in reviewing the products that they actually already love on a day-to-day -day basis. And then secondly, you know, if not through MSA, how do you see brands are trying to solve this problem today? I think, you know, one of the things that at least we see is that brands are really trying to find content creators to work with because they know that yeah. this authenticity of working with a creator is actually really strong. So like help unpack a little bit. How do you yeah. guys build out that network and and what are the pain points that you see brands otherwise have that you guys help bridge? Yeah. We find creators a few ways. Um, we started, honestly, by tapping into our network. We have, because MSA has been around for 10 years, we already had a network of writers, so we started there. We also started with people. We had a dedicated audience reaching out to our audience and just asking them, hey, we, you know, we, does anybody here love HelloFresh and wants to write a review on HelloFresh, for example? Also using Google, there are people that would write about Little Spoon, the kids' food, for example, and they're ranking maybe on page two or page three of Google. So they're not getting, they're, they, they like Little Spoon and they're writing about it and they want to make money from it, um, but they're not if they're ranking on page two or page three. So we would kind of go on not looking at the people that are ranking on page one, we'd look at the people that are ranking for some of these brands that we were interested to start with. Um, because when we started, we had only 20 brands. So we kind of could be a little bit more selective and literally just Google like Little Spoon Reviews, look for the people on, the, on page two, page three, page four, um, using Instagram, using TikTok, looking at different hashtags. And then once we start building this network where we have people, people start telling their friends and then people, we just get reaching out to us. So it kind of all built on itself um, where we now have That's over 200 creators. That's incredible. So it sounds like actually, <laughs> so if I were to take a step back, it sounds like you not only help the creator actually who has already written about something that they love, help them yeah. get their message out to more people. Uh, but then you're also making sure that you're finding people who have already, you know, they've already clearly indicated that they're actually in love with yeah. this brand because either they've already yeah. written this article or they're sort of opting in to, yeah. to write this content. Yeah. The second question on the brand front 
it's not easy for brands. And so we want, we know that brands of all sizes should be doing this. They want to be doing this, but they struggle with finding the person with not only finding the person, but then figuring out what should that person be posting and how much are they posting? What are all the terms of the agreement? What if the brand doesn't like, what if the person like makes the video, send it to the brand, the brand doesn't like it, then what? Um, what if it doesn't perform? Like then what? So all of these pieces, we our goal really is to simplify and streamline all of that for a brand. What are some methods uh, that you have seen work generally reasonably well for folks when working with creators yeah. uh, outside of working with MSA? I would say that the methods that we've seen that successful are allowing the creator to really share their message authentically and trying to not tailor it to sound like it's coming from the brand. Because at the end of the day, you do want it to sound like it's coming from the creator. Being a, being a bit open-minded with the creator that you choose, especially if you're putting paid dollars behind it, you don't need the creator that has a million followers or even 50,000 followers on Instagram or TikTok. You need the creator that's really authentic. So really taking a step back and not looking at follower count, but looking at, is their content authentic? Do you like their content? Um, and is this someone that you'd be excited about representing your brand, regardless of if anything else is really going to be the key to success? You know, a lot of brands who I talk to, their assumption when they think about creators is like, I need to find somebody who has large following, with large influence, get them to post. Just double click and expand on what do you mean by putting paid media behind it? How does that how does yeah. that process actually work and how do you get leverage out of it? We have our creators write articles, take photos, take videos, and then we allow the brands to advertise on Facebook or Instagram where we're getting into TikTok as if they are that creator. But the magic behind that is for the brand, they can acquire customers at a lower cost. Because if I, as a consumer, my, my friends are all like the perfect consumers for this. They see these ads and they're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, is Carrie really worth the hype? I don't know. I'm going to click and find out. And then it leads that they're like, oh, okay, now I see, I understand the value props. I want to try this. I click through to the Caraway site from the article and then I end up making a purchase. That user, that user journey, that flow leads to a lower cost to acquire for a brand. Um, and that is because of, you know, with traditional influencer posting, there's only so much reach you can get. Yes, that influencer might have a million followers, but that's, you know, it's one post. It's probably much more expensive as opposed to these paid ads can run for, you know, literally a year at a time or more. Um, and you can continue to just like reap the benefits. And it's it's pretty easy at that point. Once you find some winning things, just let them run. And actually, interestingly, a lot of our brands, at least, are seeing highly volatile CPMs and CACs when they're yeah. not running these flows, but it's more stable when they run it through this flow, yeah. which is actually even more interesting. You know, it's like, what yeah. is something about that human to human interaction yeah. is more consistent behavior that you can tap into than a standard ad, basically. Yeah. And not only that, it's also leading to a higher value and higher quality customer. Someone that maybe is has a higher IOV, a higher LTV, um, because that person's coming in engaged. They kind of when they're landing on your site, they know, you know they've at this point seen an ad, read an article, and now we're landing on your site to make a purchase. So they they know what they're getting into. We've got to talk about the Apple <laughs> privacy change. You know, we're talking about cats and CPMs. <laughs> You know, we like magically managed the word Apple. <laughs> so I guess, how do you think content commerce in particular has been impacted by these Apple changes? You know, the, the consumer, like I was saying, they're so educated, they're very engaged. They're converting at higher rates on brand sites, which is what's driving that lower CAC at the end of the day. Um, the biggest challenge is 
is and still remains for every brand, whether it's their branded ads or whitelisted ads is the attribution piece. And so I think that as we continue to move forward and I think that having like the shopping element tied into even like the article flow allows so, allows you to measure so easily the performance, um, which I think is really important. But I do, I have seen the cre- the content commerce landscape grow a lot more in the last one to two years than I saw in the, in the few years before that. When you say content commerce, like when you think about content, like what are the forms of content that you think are like most interesting uh, that build and, and most importantly, build the most trust with the, with the consumer, right? Because that's yeah. what actually causes transaction. Yeah. There's video and there's photo content. So you could have videos, you could have videos of all different links. You could have TikTok videos. You could have just like a normal influencer type video. It's maybe you're like one, two minute testimonial. Also, you're like 20 minute long explainer videos. Um, that's probably more of a YouTube play. Then you could also photos as well. Photos is going to be content, slideshows, um, any type of any type of photo, and then you have the written content, um, and that will be long form articles, short form articles. There's a million different types of articles as well, and there's also going to be content that has different. You could then have the content that has videos in it, content that has shopping embedded in it. Um, there, I think that that covers a lot of the types of content that I that I deal with and that I think about on a daily basis. Awesome. Okay, so so now that we've sort of like painted the landscape, what is the ideal consumer flow? And how do you implement the ideal consumer flow? Yeah, I think it really will vary by the vertical of the brand. If I look at the ideal flow for buying like the Lululemon Studio, which used to be called Mirror for people that aren't familiar, that's probably going to be very, very different than the ideal flow for buying a razor from Athena Club. Two totally different purchases. So I think that that's one thing that you that a brand has to remember when they're setting up a campaign like this is that they might have different goals. The flow might look different. The type of content, the ads, all of that might look a little bit different. But taking probably like the standard D2C brand that people think about, whether it's like the Athena Club or Sneaker, I'd say the ideal flow would be first like brand awareness. So generally like knowing about a brand, whether that's hearing it from a friend, seeing an ad from the brand, um, you know, just seeing it on Facebook, seeing it organically. Um, then hearing hearing from an authentic third party about, about that brand and what makes it different. So maybe that's where the MSA network comes into play. Then giving them the option to purchase right there. A razor is a pretty low consideration purchase. So having an option in that article to just check out, add it to their cart, they're done. I think that once you drive them then to the driving them to the Athena Club site, you could do as well if you think that it's something where they might need a little bit more education, or else you just give them the option, like, hey, you, you know, you read this, you know you need to buy Athena, let's make it super easy. Or like not convinced yet, go to the Athena Club website, learn a little bit more, and then make the purchase. Then I think that final step is um if they have not visited the Athena site or they've not made a purchase yet, kind of coming at them with one more ad. Okay. Yeah. This makes a ton of sense. So let's now apply it to the holiday season. How do you think about what is the right consumer flows? Yeah. Uh, what is the specific lenses that I need to be thinking about for the holiday season? Yeah. For the holiday season, I think that a few things are really important. Number one is like, what is the deal? Everybody is a deal for a Black Friday deal started on like November 1st. It's crazy. Um, so number one, what is the deal? What are the things that I need to know as a consumer? And like, why should I buy this deal versus another? The ease you also need, you need to make it super easy for the consumer, not only to know this information, but to be able to buy the product. Um, and then the third thing is still going to be like that authenticity about like, why, why is this, a, what the education, what makes this a good gift? Why do I need this? Why is this the right product to buy with a discount? Um, 
combining all three of those things, I think that this combination of what I was saying earlier of this, the article flow combined with like an embedded checkout, the conversion rate has increased so much, probably increases like 20%, 25% during the holiday season um, for our site in the past years. So like people are high intent and so you need to capture them. You need to make it super easy. Like if you're not making it easy for them and you're not giving them the information that they need up front, they're going to go somewhere else. Okay. So let's, let's just double click on one of the things you said, the 25% increase in conversion for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Okay. What I'm sort of, when I hear that, what I hear is people come in, they see a deal, they get convinced. They're even more likely to purchase quickly in moments like these right? What are the things that a brand needs to do to make sure that that purchase flow is as seamless as possible? I think on their site, number one, making it very clear that like about the sale, having that discount automatically apply in the cart versus like, I need to now remember this code. Um, Also, if you're running ads from that, from your branded handle, driving them right to the to the page that you want them to land on to make the purchase, as opposed to if you drive them to the homepage and they have to for some brands, it might make sense the homepage, but for others, like if there's a specific product that you're that you're pushing, drive them right to that page. Make it really easy through third-party content. Same things are going to apply. Keep the articles. The articles that we're doing for holiday are so short; they're probably like 200 words, 250 max. So keep it really short and concise and to the point, but still still provide the personal personal anecdote and the personal experience around it. Um, and then, if it makes sense, adding in this ability on the article to really just be able to check out having that discount automatically apply, even having like Apple Pay on all of these, it sounds dumb, but like if I'm shopping online and there's not Apple Pay, a lot of times I'm like, oh, I'm too lazy right now. I look at my credit card number, I'll come back and then I don't 